0: Welcome back to another edition of Live from West End, a very special edition. Today we have Athletic Director Candace Story lee and Candace, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and talking about Vanderbilt Athletics with us today.
1: And thank you all so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Without further ado, if you could just tell us what's going on with the Vanderbilt United Campaign and this, uh, the most recent initiatives that you all have been working on.
1: Absolutely. Well... You know, we initially announced the Vandy United campaign in March of 21. And so it's hard to believe that we are um, now in 2023. And we have actually a total of four projects that are actively underway and many more to come. Those four projects are um, you're probably familiar with. I hope you're familiar with the end zone projects, because if you've come to any of our home football games, you will see that both end zones are actually active construction sites. And we were really proud that we were able to play football games in there this season, which I thought was important for our fan base and our student athletes to watch it actually come to life. Um, I think that's a really important analogy and message to show that while we're building, there's real progress being made. The north end zone is also the basketball practice facility. So that will be done a year from now. So when we have our next home football game, um, that project will be substantially complete. There's also the south end zone currently underway, which is slated to be complete in the fall of 25 before the 25 football season, and we're on track with that. We also have the visitors locker room, the football visitors locker room, which is, is located in the northwest corner of the stadium so if you were facing the basketball practice facility it would be to the left of it under the stands and that will be complete uh, very soon it's probably going to be the first project that's complete and then we have the clubhouse renovation and practice area renovation out at legends for our men's and women's golf team so that's going really well you know we announced a 300 million dollar goal two years ago and then we've since said hey we've met our goal and now we want to surpass that because we have high aspirations and we announced that just a few months ago in conjunction with the university's broader dare to grow campaign so we're calling this our dare to grow phase of andy united and you know my goal is to positively impact all of our sports to improve our fan experience, to certainly first and foremost improve the student-athlete experience and just for it to be a physical representation of the fact that we value athletics. And I'm so grateful to Chancellor Deermeyer for his partnership and just for everyone's support.
2: Yeah, no, that is that is awesome. I, for one, I know obviously as a reporter, but then as a Vanderbilt student and, and an overall fan, I'm very excited to see what the future holds for Vanderbilt Athletics as a whole, for the football program at the stadium, for for everything to just kind of culminate uh, you know, when, when that end timeline comes. Um, and you talked about Dare to Grow and kind of that idea of change within athletics. And so shifting the perspective a little bit, I'm kind of curious how the emergence of these things like NIL and the transfer portal and the changing scape uh, of college athletics, like how have you kind of pivoted your recruiting and how have you know, all the coaches and everyone that you work with kind of changed the way that they view the recruiting world and everything as, as a result of all these changes?
1: Yeah, I mean, what you're mentioning is, first and foremost, it is such a disruptive time in college athletics. So you've mentioned two things, right? There are even more things, but you've mentioned two examples of that in NIL and in the transfer portal. And from my perspective, we are, you know, our goal is to compete and win at the highest level. We are at the highest level in the SEC. We want to have sustainable success. And so that does require, like we do have to pivot and be flexible enough to modernize our approach. So NIL is a part of that. And what we've done with NIL is we do have a collective. Um, We have the official collective of Vanderbilt Athletics is called Anchor Impact. And they are helping to curate a lot of the NIL experiences that our student-athletes have. And and we're fortunate a number of our student-athletes are benefiting from NIL. And um, I would say that It is it is a part of the landscape now. You know, you 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 can't ignore if you ignore it, you're going to be left behind. I do think that it's important for us as student athletes enter into NIL partnerships that we equip them with as much information as possible so that they can make good decisions. Uh, We believe in NIL, you know, the ability to monetize your name, your image or your likeness is um, I think it's appropriate. The thing that I that is challenging. Is that there are no national standards around NIL, and so every school is basically beholden to their state law. And you know, when you think about the level at which we compete, when you don't have competitive equity, um, that that is really challenging from a recruiting and a retention standpoint and a and a competition standpoint. So, we would like to ultimately see national standards and enforcement around NIL. But we like that our student athletes have the opportunity to benefit from it. So yeah. I would say that that's the way we're approaching NIL. Um, as it relates to the transfer portal, we Vanderbilt in every sport will use the transfer portal to supplement our rosters across the board. And so we're doing that now. I think each coach has um, you know, their own kind of spin on it, but the reality is across the board, the portal does offer you an opportunity to add pieces that you might be missing in any given year um, on your roster. I think the challenging part about the transfer portal is when it's when NIL is being weaponized in the transfer portal. You know, there are lots of things that people don't talk about with the transfer portal, like the, the number of student athletes that enter the portal that actually don't find a home. It's actually shockingly high. Hmm. So I worry about that as it relates to matriculation at schools. I worry about that as it relates to just academic achievement and graduation rates. So, you know, it'll be interesting. And then you add COVID in, where there was an additional year of eligibility. I mean, it is, you know, it's not uncommon to see a student athlete that may be 24 years old who's been at four different schools. You know, and so you wonder how, what are the implications of that long term? I am concerned about that in terms of the landscape, but at Vanderbilt, we're still going to approach athletics in a way that I think you know, we can sleep at night knowing that, yeah, we've leaned into some of these modern approaches, but we're still trying to create what we believe is the best holistic student athlete experience in the country. That's what we aspire to do.
2: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, yeah definitely. And when you talk about how it can be used as a weapon and weaponizing NIL, how is the SEC trying to combat that that pattern? And and I know, like you look at NFL and NBA, and there's a salary cap, and that kind of there's no there's not that narrative in college athletics because every school is its own entity and it works for the school. How how do you work to unweaponize NIL?
1: Well, I think one thing you got to understand. We can go down a whole road here, but. When you look at professional sports, you talk about things like a salary cap or collective bargaining or you know, there is a distinction, right? Because our student athletes are not employees. And so, you know, that that is that is certainly one distinct difference between college athletics and professional sports. But without without turning this into some long legal discussion, and I only play a lawyer, I'm not really a lawyer. <laughs> um, um, and I say that in jest, but you know, the the it is the the challenge is that when you start to have these widespread rules that control the market, then then that creates antitrust concerns, which is actually a big part of what is challenging the landscape today. And so there are a number of, and I again I <laughs> I uh, I don't know all of the legal terms. But what I would say is that there are certain things that the conference has the ability to do, just like there are certain things that fall under the purview of the NCAA. What we're trying to do as a conference right now, because your question was about NIL and the conference. What we're trying to do right now is raise awareness about the need for national standards. And we think because we, because you want to avoid the antitrust concerns, The national standards, we believe, will need to come from federal intervention, so federal support, right? And so there are a number of bills out there that speak to this, but we have gotten to a place in college athletics where um, we need a structure, and we think that for NIL, the only way to have a structure that is bigger than your state laws would be a federal structure. That will govern the rules around NIL. And so as a conference, we are talking a lot about that in our respective states. Like, how do we raise awareness so that people understand that we are we are at a very, very disruptive time in college athletics? And, and you know, when we think about you want, we want to be able to commit to, and we are committed to equitable experiences, we're committed to broad-based sports offering. know as you all know we recently added volleyball and they just signed their first class and that was really exciting and they're preparing themselves to compete in the fall of 25 and we want all of our sports to have ample opportunity to compete right an ample opportunity to get a great education and for young people to be able to develop so there's a lot of work we have to do because right now there are a lot of things threatening that so we're just trying to raise awareness
2: yeah no i'd that makes a lot of sense and I think you know something that gets lost in the mud a lot is that this this whole NIL thing has kind of come really in the past few years um and I I like to make a lot of jokes about it because uh eighth grade me would be (laughs) thrilled that I'm here talking to you right now because I wrote this like really long-winded research paper I think it was uh right after the DeAndre Aiden scandal at Arizona if you remember that um and and I wrote about how athletes you know college athletes need to get paid and you know, however, that kind of this was, you know, before I had ever dreamed of NIL and all that stuff. So I just kind of was like, give them a salary because who, you know, who am mm-hmm. I in middle school to know anything like that? Um, and I think people just, you know, now here we are five, six years later and we've got this thing developing in front of us. And like you said, it's such a disruptive time, but it's also such a, a critical time where we can, yes. I don't know, I mean, obviously you can speak better to this and you have spoke better to it than I can. Um, but, we can really like harness that disruptiveness and then control it and make it into a better college world for the student-athletes. And I think that's a really exciting
1: Commissioner Sankey, Greg Sankey, Mm you know, he often says we need to, it would be great to innovate on our own terms. And I I think it's an opportunity for us um, in athletics to figure out what do we want the future to look like. And so you're right, right? You've, you've described, like, you could look at disruption as a negative, or you could look at, at it as the catalyst needed to create change that allows something to be sustainable yeah. and something that we all believe in. And so you're right, it's just a matter of perspective. But I think that um, it is it is a very complex situation. So it is not just as simple as pulling one lever. Right.
2: Um,
1: but I have to believe that we can figure it out for the greater good.
0: Definitely. Absolutely. And on a positive end, can you talk about what Vanderbilt's meant for, for you? For for years, you've been bleeding black and gold, being a student athlete here to working here in your professional career and, and being a part of the Vanderbilt community for such a long time. Can you just talk about what that's meant for you and, and some experiences?
1: Oh, my gosh. We could have a whole podcast on that, y'all. I mean, it is hard to... Um, it's certainly hard for me to encapsulate 27 years in just a few remarks. But what I would say is that uh, Vanderbilt has been such a gift to me. And I, I, I really enjoy talking about this because I think that uh, sometimes people might make the assumption that because I've been here so long that it has been easy. You know, I've had some of my most challenging days in my life have been here. And, um, and you know, I've, I've, uh, I've, I've actually spent my whole adult life here and I got here at the age of 17 and, oh, I might as well tell y'all I'll be 45 in three days. so (laughs) Oh, happy birthday.
0: What what are the, what are the birthday, what (laughs) are the birthday plans? Thank you very much. What are the birthday
1: Um, plans? proud Scorpio. Thank you. Um, Me too. But I, I feel like this place has been such a gift because it has challenged me and, um, encouraged my growth in a number of ways it has been like a warm blanket and a place of security when I needed it the most it has um it has helped to give me the tools you know we talk as administrators about um you know the Vanderbilt way is to collaborate and to encourage people in this community to maximize their potential and I love that because I feel like I'm the embodiment of that and I'm still a work in progress. But I have, I feel like Vanderbilt has helped to arm me with the tools to hopefully be the best version of myself. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm really motivated by that because that's what I want to do for students. Right. And not just student-athletes, for students for students. Um, Because I I love this place. I think we are really, really fortunate to be at at a place where obviously the academic uh, prowess speaks for itself and Nashville speaks for itself. And, you know, if you're an athlete, the SEC speaks for itself. But to have all of that wrapped in a community of care. I hear uh, our dean of students, GL Black, talk about Vanderbilt being a community of care. And I know he's probably thinking about it from like his ethos as he cares for students. But I just think that that broadly applies. It is a place that will care for you deeply. And, you know, I I, I had the good fortune playing basketball here and I had the good fortune of being a student here. And I've turned my husband into a Vanderbilt fan. (laughs) Um, And I just, I mean, it's it's really been a remarkable place. And I'm so thankful that I get the opportunity to help lead and to serve um, here.
2: Yeah, no, that that's awesome. I mean, obviously, I'm a junior, so it's only my third year here, but I feel very similarly. I feel very blessed to be here. Um,
1: Wonderful.
2: And obviously, so I'd like to harken back to, obviously, like you said, you spent your whole adult life here. I'd like to harken back to the beginning um, and kind of ask you for – a. A deep cut behind the scenes moment what is like your favorite one of your core memories as a student athlete doesn't necessarily have to be pertaining to basketball or you know anything related to athletics but what was your like favorite memory during your time as like an undergrad student athlete here that people wouldn't know about
1: oh my favorite memory oh man I'm usually not at a loss for words. Y'all know me; I'm usually not. But let's see. A favorite. I mean, um, I can remember, and this is an athletics memory, but I can remember. I can remember going to. We had a selection show, right? Like we were, we knew we were going to the NCAA tournament, Mm -hmm. and we had a selection show. Um, over at Memorial, and, I mean, we had, we had a very good year, but we ended up being the number one seed in our region, and, and it was the year where Tennessee was the two. Oh, wow. And it just felt, it was so cool because, yeah. I mean, obviously they're our rivals, and, you know, they have such a, a, a remarkable history in women's basketball, and I remember just sitting there, we were so excited, and I think that was the same year we made an Elite Eight run and it was just, it, it was just awesome. So that that was, that's something I remember. I also remember being um, a six year. So I, I I was in grad school, I, I was, um, I'd had multiple knee surgeries. So I had a two medical red shirt years. So like I had a six year before it was a thing, right? Now it's a thing, you got COVID, you got all this stuff. So before it was a thing, I had a six year and we 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 make a run. We won the SEC tournament that year. Yep. We make a run in the NCAA tournament. We actually go because we went to the Elite Eight back to back years. We finish in the Elite Eight, and the next day our coach takes a job at Ohio State, oh, wow. and it was my last year, so I, I I was finishing. But the next day, like it felt like the next day, it probably was like three or four days. He takes a job at Ohio State. Well, we had already been scheduled to have our end of the year banquet. And it was a big deal. Like our banquets would have a lot of people at them. It was like a, a a nice affair. Not as big as the Bandy Boys banquet right now, because that has like over a thousand people. But it was at that time, right? This is like two thousand two. It was it was well attended. Yeah. And so they're like, uh, coach isn't here. Like, should we still do the banquet? And we're like, me, like, you know, as seniors, and me, I was like a super, super senior. It's like, well, we kind of deserve to be celebrated. And they're like, Candace, I mean, will you be the MC? Because, like, if you'll be the MC, we'll do it. So I I remember, I mean, I kind of told like three jokes and they were funny. Like, well, maybe people indulge me, but they laugh. And I remember being the MC and we just That's celebrated awesome. each other. And I, I know that. um. I went back on that now. It was a magical night because, you know, just an opportunity to celebrate with your team and um and at that time I thought I was leaving. You know, I did, I had no idea that I was st- that I would get to continue in any capacity and I just remember being fully present that night and just having a wonderful time.
2: That's awesome. But that, uh maybe maybe you should uh MC the Vandy Boys banquet then.
1: Yeah, no. I absolutely should not. <laughs> Um, that was not like a, a shameless plug because I I would not be a good MC. <laughs> I
2: would support it. I would support it.
1: Candace, I appreciate that.
0: <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show. Before you leave, if you could just maybe think of one or two moments where where you maybe had a, a realization and you stopped by and said, "Wow, this I'm an athletic director of an SEC school." Kind of an epiphany moment of you realizing of of how big big of a role you have in a Vanderbilt community, and more importantly, in the SEC community?
1: One or two moments. I will tell you all a funny story that I remember. So I, I got the job. And I was sitting at my desk, I mean, this is probably the second day, second or third day. And you know, I had been the Deputy AD for, for um, Well, since 2016, so at that time, I have been the deputy AD for four years. So I just switched into this to the vice chancellor role, an AD role. And I remember that, you know, well, let me back up when you're the deputy AD or, you know, when you're part of the senior staff, you know, you can make recommendations or you can make suggestions, but you do not make the decision, right? Like the athletic director is the leader and you know i had gotten pretty good at making recommendations now they whether whether you know david williams took it or malcolm turner took it i got pretty good at that i remember sitting at my desk literally i'm the athletic director now and i was thinking i can't remember what it was but i was like man somebody ought to do something about that (laughs) Uh i think i'm going to recommend and i just start laughing at my desk and i'm like oh my gosh i'm the somebody (laughs) i can do something about this and it's it's funny it seems silly but You know it's like you have this mental shift where you realize oh my goodness i'm responsible for all of this and it was it's such a humbling it's such a humbling moment and it's something i will never ever take for granted and so that i sort of laugh about that but i think about that and the other thing that i think about is covid you know I, i i became the interim ad in february of 2020 before COVID and then I was um appointed by Chancellor Deermeyer in May the end of May in 2020 and that was at a time when we were trying to figure out you know how we're going to reopen as a university and how are we going to bring student athletes back if we even can and what is the football season going to look back look like and what you know all of those things and I remember this sort of poignant moment sitting with athletic directors when we finally came together in person in July. We're wearing masks, we're spread out, and we're looking around at each other saying, gosh, I hope we can figure out how to keep everyone safe. And and if it is possible, compete. And it was a sobering moment because, you know, I tell our staff all the time that our job is to... to uh, Take good care of other people's children. That 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 I mean the the, so you know if you're a parent you understand what a huge responsibility and privilege that is, and it was this moment where I thought I have got to make sure that everybody stays safe, and this is what comes with the territory when you're the athletic director. And I um we looked around each other and I thought you know there's no other place I would want to be doing this. And there's no other league I'd want to be doing it in because Greg Sankey is a remarkable leader. And getting to watch him work during that time, I still reflect on the lessons that I learned. Um, one of those being you don't make a decision before you have to. And that was an approach that we took every day through COVID. And I learned that from Greg Sankey. I learned that from Chancellor Dear who I thought was remarkable in how he led us through the pandemic. And, you know, it's just uh, it's it is a privilege to be able to have you, you what you hope is a positive impact. Um, it's a lot. Right. It's a big responsibility. And I, I try to I keep it in its proper place. But um, even on the really, really, really hard days, and there are some, I'm so happy to be a Vanderbilt. Absolutely. And,
0: and thank you so much, more importantly, for the time and giving us such remarkable and invaluable lessons and experiences that you've had at Vanderbilt. And we really appreciate you coming on to, to talk about your experiences as Athletic Director of Vanderbilt.
2: Thank you so much. <laughs> I
1: appreciate it. Y'all are very kind. I may have to just talk to y'all if I need just some uplifting. I might set the call y'all because y'all are just very kind. But thank you so <laughs> much. I appreciate your support. Happy to spend the time. Thank
2: so, you. So Come back great. anytime. Thank
0: you and Anchor Down.
1: <laughs> I will. <laughs>
0: I will. Y'all have a good day. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, Aiden, I don't know what you have to say, but it was awesome to have Candace on the show and, and talk about everything about her experiences and, and what it's like being the athletic director of Vanderbilt.
2: Yeah, that was incredible. That was my first time like actually having a conversation with her. Amazing. Like could not say enough good things. That was I mean, she's so well spoken. She's clearly got such an incredible image for the future of, of athletics and I'm excited to see, you know, I don't think I'll be here for the completion of all these projects, and I, obviously you definitely won't, but yeah. I'm excited to, you know, come back in the future for homecomings and watch football games and watch basketball games and, you know, see all these amazing things come to fruition. Um, yeah. So shout out, shout out to our fearless athletic director, Candace Royley. And
0: before we preview the basketball season and or, or the first game for the men and women, I just want to quickly talk about how important and monumental it is to have representation like like Candace. Candace was telling me in her interview yesterday she's the first she's the first black SEC athletic director ever. She's the first black woman in the SEC that's an athletic director ever. First woman for Vanderbilt as an athletic director ever and she found that her paving the way just gives so much room for the inspiration. In the future she looks at 2017 Virginia's athletic director and she always talks about her biggest mission is just for the students to really be ingrained in the community, have a great experience at Vanderbilt, and to also get a Vanderbilt experience. You know, being a Vanderbilt student-athlete is not an easy thing. It's not like
2: at these state schools where you're not necessarily glorified for no, being you're a student-athlete. you're held an incredible athletic st- or yeah. an academic standard, and then you're also not given, you know, that pedestal that players at other schools are like. I've got friends of Florida that say Colin Castleton is like, the king of the world and he like basically gets carried around campus on like a, a throne um right it's just not like that and, and i think it teaches you
0: a lot of great skills and i think candace is, is the great leader for that and and we have nothing but great things to say she's made six head coaching hires at Vanderbilt. i know she brought Althea thomas clark lee shay ralph shay ralph um stack was not her hire subanos right?
2: the new tennis coach and right. i forgot the sixth yeah I mean, she's, she's incredible. Yeah, can't, you can't say enough good things. Um, you want to transfer to basketball? Yeah, let, let's talk about let's talk about
0: women's basketball. Let's let's stay positive. I know there was there's <laughs> a lot basketball. of
2: injuries last season. Really, really strong start on Monday against Kennesaw State. Really strong. I mean, they beat the brakes off of them, and it's one of those things that the final score doesn't even do it justice because they had their subs in the entire fourth quarter. So Kennesaw State kind of put up a few more respectable points, I guess, but. I mean, Vanderbilt dominated them, and you see what it looks like now that they've got some of their stars healthy. Obviously, you lose Kaja Harbison, you lose Marnell Girard. Two leading scorers from last season is is kind of unfortunate, but at the same time, you bring back Jordan Cambridge and Ayanna Moore, who were the two best players on the team two years ago. Ayanna Moore is now a junior. You expect her to make that jump. Cambridge is in her fifth year. She's expected to make that jump. She talked about how excited she is to be back on the court. She's had multiple seasons of her college career taken off from injury. Um, this is not the first time that she suffered surgery or suffered an injury and had to go through surgery. She had 11 points. She made her only three-point attempt. Two rebounds, seven assists, five steals. Back to Jordan Cambridge type thing. She is a, a ball hawking guard, yeah. if you will. Um, and it was good to see, you know, like a, a full roster of players. I'm, I'm looking at it now. It looks like we've got 12, 12 athletes on this team, which is. Four more than we had last season, and maybe that doesn't seem like that much to the average listener. But if you, you
0: just,
2: if you just watch that depth last season, and especially with some of like the freshmen who weren't as experienced, like they needed that time. Um, and then yeah, I I think you know the sky is really the limit for this team. They were picked, I believe, to finish last in the SEC poll, and you know that's fair based on last season's results. And I think they'll they'll improve going forward, and you know. I don't think they'll finish last. I don't know if they'll be a tournament team, but I think that there are a lot of positives to build on, and all our longtime listeners know how highly I think of Shea Ralph and this program. I'm excited to see what the season holds for them.
0: Yeah, and I just want to talk about
2: scoring 98 points. I don't care who you're playing. Vanderbilt wasn't putting that amount of points, especially in NCC. No, player. yeah, that's it's it's very impressive. Very impressive. Okay. They had four, five players in double figures, another two that scored eight points, another that scored nine. Like They basically effectively had... What was that? Eight players that scored eight or more points. That's that's depth. That's all-around scoring. You got a, a couple stars. It's it's exciting. It's usually that
0: third year in the head coaching realm where you really see the jump because it's your recruits that are really getting a lot of playing time now. It's that culture you've built. Right. That's what we saw Sorry to get negative, and this will help us when we talk about men's basketball very right soon. This is what we thought with football, right? It was Clark Lee's third year. This is when the time really going turn. Yeah. You're ready to be in the, in the bowl. Shea Ralph and this women's team, I promise you, will be better than last season. Just because the the, the injuries weigh less and, and you have more depth before the season, and that just helps you. And really assuring win. They, they, they next will play. Um, they play tonight against I think it's UT Martin. And yes, it
2: is UT Martin. They play on the road against UT Martin.
0: In Martin, Tennessee. So um, hopefully Vanderbilt gets back in the win column or continues to be in the win column. And women's basketball will be really exciting to watch moving forward. A lot of home games coming up.
2: Yeah, should be very exciting. It should be a fun, fun non-conference at the very least. Obviously, conference play will become a little bit more challenging. And you've got teams like LSU and you know uh, Arkansas was really good last year. And, and, and we'll see going forward kind of how Vanderbilt approaches that and whether they can surpass the three wins that they had in the conference uh, last season. I think they will. Um, but yeah, should be exciting. And that is about where the positives end.
0: Totally.
2: Oh, let's transition. Yep.
0: Monday night, Benville plays Presbyterian. Presbyterian last season was ranked not 300th, 300, not 301, not 302. They were around, I think it was 315. They ranked 315 in the Ken Palm. They were 5-26 and 26 and 1-17 and in the Big South.
2: Which is not, by the way. a top conference it's not even the mac it's 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 they were effectively one of the worst teams in division one sure yeah it's like losing to an fcs school
0: yes vanderbilt looked to blow past their easy non-conference slate Uh, let's just give everyone context last year vanderbilt does not get a bid in the ncaa tournament because you look at losses like grambling state and southern miss and say wow if you win those games, the season will look a lot different.
2: And the and, worst part about those games is that those teams actually were both good. Grand Lakes, they made the tournament. Southern Miss was on the bubble. They made the final four of the NIT. And so Vanderbilt said, all right, you know what? We're going to take a step back. We'll play a really easy team. And what do they do?
0: They lose. And they lose to a team. It's their worst loss, technically, according to Ken Palm, since 1999. The class of 2024 was born in 01, no tour. So before, and 02. So before anyone on the team was born was the last time Man lost this bat so let's talk about the actual game right you look at the statistics and it's just it's just putrid eight from 33 from the three 19 of 58 from the field and you really see Ezra, or you
2: really see Tyron Lawrence's injury showing why the offense wasn't flowing yeah I think he was definitely missed and I think that it's easy to kind of blame missing him uh, blame this loss on missing him. At the same time, Tyron Lawrence should not be the difference maker. They still should have won this game. You saw Evan Taylor go three for 11 from three-point range. You saw Ezra Mignon only play 19, or, uh, 24 minutes, uh, 20 of which were in the second half, only four in the first half because of foul trouble. Um, Colin Smith went one for eight. Paul Lewis struggled in the second half. Generally, just a, a really poor all-around offensive performance. I thought defensively in the first half they were fine. Second half they kind of crumbled when they allowed that 11-0 run. Um, Really, just all around, no individual performances stuck out. They missed the gravity that Tyron Lawrence holds within this offense, Um, and it it just it's concerning because you don't know how long Tyron Lawrence is going to be out. Because I feel like they've been pretty mum on that front. Uh, We haven't heard much. We just know he was on a
0: boot outside of Commons on Monday night or Monday during the day.
2: Yeah, Um, and he was announced out before the game. I think you know if Ezra doesn't pick up those fouls, maybe it's a different game, but. Uh, you know, you can make these kind of comments about Alabama if you lose to Alabama by six. And they're like, all right, well, if they had done one or two things, you know, it's a moral vi- This is so far removed from anything close to a moral victory. It's almost the exact opposite. It's like an unethical loss. I, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's it's horrific. Let's talk about Michigan State Monday night. Oh, boy. Or two, it, was,
0: it was November 6th. So, yeah, yeah, Monday night. Monday night. They they lost to James Madison seventy nine to seventy six and the whole college basketball world was going nuts. But the thing with Michigan State is they're gonna do so well in conference play. They're gonna they're gonna be fine in non-conference play. They're still a tournament team. They're still a tournament team. The Andy's margin of error in the SEC, it's the same thing as football, is, is so thin no the, This error. is maybe the 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 most competitive the SEC has been since we've been here at Vanderbilt, I would argue. Really good teams. Yeah. And, and, and I'm I'm just really concerned with look,
2: I'm not in the locker room, I have no idea. But how can you not lose a locker room after a loss like this? I don't think you lose a locker room immediately. I think that generally you're pretty concerned um, on just the overall game that, that Jerry Stackhouse coached. I thought there were some questionable decisions. I thought Paul Lewis not playing much in the second half after being pretty good in the first half was questionable. I thought Tassos Comateros playing, and apologies if I butchered that name, no, not playing much in well. the second half, uh, especially down the stretch when they kind of needed that shooting, was questionable. Um it, 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 to me, it kind of screamed a game that Jerry Stackhouse thought they were going to win, and then they just well never He said
0: away. in his press conference, yeah, the non-conference games, I can't wait to get these young guys getting reps and all of that. You they have to really- start winning before you put the young guys in. It's not that type of team like a Michigan or, or back in the day or, or any of these like Big Ten power schools or even like Kentucky where you know for sure you're going to win. You know, you've proven every year that you're going to lose one or two of these upset games. You look at the the, the uh, Grambling game the year before in football, He's Tennessee State, thinking about Southern Miss, all these games. It, and it's just, if Jerry Stackhouse had respected Presbyterian like it was an SEC game, guaranteed Comrades would have won by 10 or 15 points.
2: Yeah, it's definitely a frustrating game, and it's hard to call for a coach's head or anything you know, even close to that after just one game of the season, but I think this is a relatively continued trend from Stackhouse, and I would just like to see some urgency. I don't feel like the team has, has been coached with that sense of urgency in mind, and that's frustrating, and I also just – it didn't look I, – I, I understand there was a lot of turnover. I understand they had, what, seven transfers. They brought in five new freshmen, three transfers, yada, yada, yada. Four transfers, actually. Um they didn't look like they had ever played together before. They, there was no movement. It was stale. Uh, Players standing in the corners. There was no second action. It was a lot of dribble penetration and just kind of hucking up a shot. Um, and I, I, I'd like to see them come back to the drawing board. I'll be there live on Friday covering the game. We'll have that recap up. Um, I think they'll be better. I don't think they'll lose that game. I think this you know, hopefully will serve as, you know, to some extent, a wake-up call for the Commodores um, because shooting 33% from the field 24% from three, 59% from free throw is borderline unacceptable. Sorry. Not oh, borderline. It is, not, it it is, is unacceptable. Absolutely. Unacceptable. So we're going to move
0: on. Vanderbilt has, again, really easy slate. You can win the next five or six games easily. Yeah, they should. Um, you're playing home against USC Upstate. I've never even heard of this team. I think the women played them last year. And, and then U- UNC Greensboro, Central Arkansas. all these teams are probably around the same level. NC State, okay, Mid- middle it's a team, team in their... from last year. Yeah, but, but I mean, that's the
2: type of game Vanderbilt's got to go in and win. Yeah, and then
0: BYU or Arizona State. But I look at Boston College. I look at Texas Tech. These are average teams in their conferences, and if you're competitive, if you're not competitive against these teams, you're in for no state, a really no long chance. season.
2: No chance. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I think they'll be competitive. I still have not as much optimism as I had in our season preview, and not as much optimism as I had in the booth last week. Uh, or or whatever it was on Monday, um, but I'm still optimistic. I think they they had some good shots that just didn't fall. I think the shots start falling a little bit. I think they get into the rhythm, um, and I think it'll be overall okay.
0: I do too, but but I promise that this game will be biting
2: on oh, the yeah. rear end come March. No, there's no doubt about that. I think like there's there's no getting around that this is going to tank their net. And they're gonna have to really compensate for it. Like I don't know. Whatever razor thin margin of error there was has been sliced in half effectively. And it's not like Presbyterian's
0: a team that's just gonna win win much more than they did last year. No, season.
2: it's not gonna be like, oh well because for us last year it was oh Gremling made the tournament. Uh oh Southern Miss won their like won their conference regular season. It's not like that. This is a team that went five and twenty seven last year, one and seventeen in conference, and then they lost their top two scorers.
0: I bet Vanderbilt paid this team to play us. Probably. It's one of those teams because Vanderbilt... These seeked, are all probably
2: teams that Vanderbilt yeah, paid to play.
0: Vanderbilt them. seeked a uh, an easier non-conference slate and the way to do that is you pay these these smaller schools that need the money for the athletics programs.
2: Yeah, we'll see. Hopefully, it'll light to fire up under them.
0: Really exciting to have Candace speak to us and then we got a little negative with basketball, but always fun being in the podcast room with Aiden and thank you all so much for listening. Have a good week, everyone.